This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. at long last. Welcome back to UAP. It is Stephen Diener right here. Karen Curtis over there. We are so happy to be back with you finally for our newest episode. Episode 60, The Philadelphia 60. Experiment. You believe that? We're no. that far into it. It's I'm 60 myself. No. Yes. Wow, it's a milestone day. It is a milestone day. Well, how are you, Karen? It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. but it, uh, we promise this episode will make the absence of us worthwhile i think so i, I think so this um i, I said to karen in, in the interest of full disclosure because we're all about full disclosure here right on uap i said this is before we started off the air if you will i said this is either going to be an episode where people look at us sideways for it or it's going to be looked at as as a masterpiece and you're going to love it so it's be epic i know it it's one or the other and i'm also going to say this off the bat before we get into the subject of the philadelphia experiment because this entire episode is dedicated to this subject so we're going to let you know that and we're going to try to keep it under an hour okay. just, hey. <laughs> there's a lot of detail we have a listener story to get to we yeah. have a factoid so get ready for some lost time here we go now before we get to all of the things i just mentioned karen yes since we're back here, and it's a couple weeks before Christmas, by the way, and a week before Hanukkah, all the holidays are coming up. That means nothing toward our factoid, but what do you have here oh, on a factoid for today? This is interesting. A NASA space science spacecraft launched three years ago. Mm-hmm. Is out of con- it, It's been out of contact with controllers for nearly two weeks. NASA announced it December 7th. Today's the 8th, okay? Okay. The ionospheric connection explorer, or the ICON spacecraft. Oh, has not communicated with the ground station since November 25th, so Thanksgiving. Hmm. Hmm. The $252 million ICON mission launched in 2019, designed to study the interaction of space weather with terrestrial weather. I didn't know there was weather in space. Did you? I guess just on other planets, uh, you know, like ice storms and gas storms and all these things, uh, and raining acid on Venus and all that different stuff. Oh, that's stuff. true. Yeah. Okay. You can be a weatherman on... Mars. I guess so. So anyway, the icon was actually looking at the interaction of space weather with terrestrial weather in the Earth's ionosphere. Oh, wow. To better understand what drives variations in the ionosphere. And you're like, what the hell is the ionosphere? (laughs) It's the layer of the Earth's atmosphere that contains a high concentration of ions, thus the name. Gotcha. And free electrons. And it's able to reflect radio waves. Uh-huh. And it's right above the mesosphere. Okay. It extends about 50 to 600 miles above the Earth's surface. I think I got a kite lost in the mesosphere <laughs> one time as a child. <laughs> Just <laughs> Well, get this. They were measuring. The measurements showed the 
Hunga Tonga Hunga Hayape volcanic eruption in January of 2022 in the Pacific. Yeah, the Hunga Tonga Hunga. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and its effects extending into the ionosphere that uh, disrupted an electrical current. So that's really kind of important stuff. That's insane. Wow. So it's no longer communicating. Well, I guess it could be, you know, boiled down to a couple of different things, whether it's some type of malfunction, some type of weather thing, some type of interference that they're just not seeing, radio interference from space. I well, don't know. it's a $252 million. Well, that kind of stinks that that's just floating Perhaps. out there. Yeah. Or maybe it's some other. I would like to have just one of those millions. Yeah, well, that would be nice. Maybe it's some other type of interference that we don't know about. Ah, uh-huh. Like one of the Chinese satellites with the big arm that comes out and steals stuff out of the sky. I was actually talking about aliens. Oh, but aliens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that too. I mean, it could of be. Of course, UAP. Hello. <laughs> yes, it could be. Now, I, I said, very nice factoid. Thank you, Karen. That's Wow, that's a wild story, actually. Yeah. So we've said before, if you have a story, feel free to send it our way. We've got some great stories that we have from, uh, you, know, from you, our listeners. And we had one here from a listener named Mike um, from Canada, and he had a, an abduction or a near abduction experience. And it's funny from Canada because you remember the past few episodes. Oh, Manitoba! Did, it was all over the place in oh Canada, Manitoba, God. all these different places. There were so many experiences, and we focused a lot on you know the north up in Canada. Um, and well, we caught the ear of one of our Canadian listeners, and Mike. So thank you, Mike, for. This story, it's a little lengthy, but good Lord, is it fascinating. So I want to read this story first to get your opinion on it. And of course, you, the listener, to, to relate this to you because you might have something similar and you may be afraid to share it with yeah. somebody. So here's how. Uh, this is a real story from a real listener. This is what Mike has, has told us. He said, I had an encounter that I was unsure whether it was an angel or demon experience Ooh. until I heard some similar reports on your show especially with the most recent episode going back to episode 58. This, he sent us this before episode 59. He said, I was in bed lying on the right side of the bed. I was positioned on my left side facing my wife when I woke up fully alert and sensing a presence behind me. Oof. The room was lit up evenly without casting shadows with a light that was pleasant but normal. It seemed like it shimmered. It was orangey yellow. He describes this. Oh, that's so this cool. And but I'll continue here. But shout out to Mike because his yeah. description he's very detailed in this. So I I appreciate good detail, which you're going to hear coming up after this story when we get into the Philadelphia experiment. But he continues. The feeling was very fearful, as I had no idea what was behind me or the intent. Wait, don't you hate that? It's like your skin oh, starts to crawl. Yes, you know, so a presence yeah. is there. He says, but the presence was certain. He goes on, I felt like I couldn't move, similar to a sleep paralysis. But my only thought was that I'll be damned if I just lay here without knowing if there's a risk to my wife and kids. So I put all the effort I could into turning around. And as if in one slow but steady movement, I turned and grabbed a four foot tall figure by the neck (gasps) beside me. What? And through gritted teeth, he says, because it was hard to move my jaw, he says, he goes, I said, who are you? Oh, my God. That does sound like sleep paralysis because I've had that before. And you had the the, gritted teeth and sleep paralysis. Oh, it's horrible. And there was this black, well, I thought it was my mother, actually, at the end of my bed. And you can't move. And I'm going, Mom. Oh, wow. So similar. It was so scary. But this is, man, this is a very detailed 
It says, while I was turning to face the presence, I saw two figures that were shadowy and partly see-through. The one I grabbed by the neck seemed like a child to me right next to my bed, while the other was about four and a half to five feet tall, standing a few feet behind. And I got the sense that they were authoritative in some way, maybe a guide or instructor. The impression was, was that of like an adult, Mike that's, says. Now, see, that's where it departs from sleep paralysis because there's more than one visage right. and image. And yeah, and he's, he sees light, which you don't see. Right. And you know what I mean? This and, has more of a feel of an abduction yes. story. Yes. Where we've heard before from abductees where the aliens come inside their room and they take them. Yeah. Uh, boy, this gives me chills as I'm reading it. And he actually <laughs> physically touched one of them, did, which you yeah. never, you're not able to do. I, I got to tell you, again, I, I hand it to you, Mike, because I've never heard a story like this before. And for you to send us your story, like, this is incredible. So he goes on uh, to say, they both still felt short with childlike proportions and oversized heads. Okay. So kind of like your classic, you know, description of greys. Says, but not so oversized that I'd think of an alien, which is why it didn't cross my mind until recently with similar accounts from your podcast that I heard. It goes, also while I was turning over, I had a massive fear that I would be in immense pain mm. once I grabbed the figure. The sensation I was envisioning to happen was a severe electrical shock or oh. burn that I imagined I would feel well past my elbow up to my shoulder. This vision, he says in quotes, made me want to stop reaching out. But the drive to protect my go to protect me and my family kept me going to reach out anyway. You know what's interesting because that may have been a telepathic yes message like a warning from the alien. Don't touch me, or you will have. This a is what shock. you're gonna right. Yeah, that's why he thought it. That's right. So almost like he says like this vision, but it was like almost. I guess it could have they been were communicating message. with them. Yeah. He says, I was surprised to find that the instant I grabbed the close figure's neck, it felt like nothing at all, like I was grabbing air. Oof. But I could see my hand around its neck. That's so weird. The biggest surprise came from the figures. In the same instant I grabbed the one, all fear immediately vanished. And I heard or felt that they were more surprised about me than I was about them. It's like spiders. They're more afraid of you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It says they communicated without speaking. So there there's you your go. telepathy. He says he heard in his mind. He says this isn't supposed to happen. Though it seemed like the message was meant for between them, and uh, I was just hearing it. Oh, that's so cool. The other thing that I like is that his will to protect his family was stronger than right. whatever these beings were transmitting. It, it superseded that's all that. That's so cool. Amazing. Again, this is a listener story. This isn't something that we dug up or I had in my notes. This is from one of our listeners, Mike in Canada. He continues, and even though they didn't seem to move, their tone was non-threatening and submissive. And he says, I knew more like a feeling that they were going to leave. Since I felt there was no threat, I became aware of how exhausting this was. And I turned back over at the same time as feeling them leave and, and, and the room returning to dark and went back to sleep. Now, this was also very strange, he says, because under any other threatening circumstance, I'd be wired with the buzz and, and adrenaline to stay awake like anybody would. Adrenaline hey, would wake up his awake. wife and go, did you see that? Sure. You would wake up in fear, you'd be sweating, Absolutely. your heart would be pounding. Absolutely. But he says, with the, the, the complete reversal from fear to complete safety and control was so powerful, that feeling, that there was not even a fiber of concern about a possible threat. Oh my God, so I wonder if they can transmit emotion as well. Maybe, and they said that he said he had zero adrenaline after this. 
He says, it's like all the sensations must have been induced somehow. That's so weird. He says, but I tell you, if I had hesitated and not grabbed the figure and allowed the paralyzing fear to continue, this would likely have been the scariest thing that ever happened to me. Wow. He says, to this day, I don't know what they meant by this isn't supposed to happen. Was I not supposed to be able to move? Was I not supposed to be able to see them or not be able to grab them? Did he even really grab them? Or was this an illusion since I didn't feel them? Was I supposed to stay asleep? He says to finish, the next morning I was trying to figure out if this might have been some spirit or something that visited me, but it never made sense that there were two. Mm-hmm. And why was it like an adult, but still the height of an adolescent? Right. He says, anyway, it's nice to hear encounters that have similarities to mine, and I'm just glad I didn't end up getting taken away or something scary. In the end, it seems like I got the, the nice crew, so to speak. <laughs> he says, I do still wonder why they decided to visit me, though, of all people. I mean, I'm open-minded and all, but they obviously didn't do their homework if they think a Canadian won't jump at the opportunity to drop the gloves on or off the ice, especially if the wife and kids might be at risk. That's right. That's right. And you know, Mike, it's not you woke up or semi woke up or you sensed them. Mm-hmm. They may be visiting lots of people who didn't don't even know that they're visiting them. It's so a, don't think yes. you're so special. It may be happening to a lot of people, Could but be. they're not waking up. Remember, it's not supposed to happen. And I think what's special about I this... I mean, you are special, Mike. Yes, you are very special. Thank you, Mike. He says he loves the show. He loves oh, us, yeah. so thank you, Mike. We love you. But they may be, you know, going to many bedrooms. It could be, and maybe the people are having similar accounts, so they just don't talk about it. But that's the first one I've heard. Every alien abduction story we've covered, and I promise we're going to get to the Philadelphia experiment here in a second, but every alien abduction story we've covered has always been... Terrifying. Yeah. And I've never not heard of one like that. Malevolent, but I don't know. So, incredible story. Thank you, Mike. If you have a story like Mike, or or any story, really, it doesn't have to be exactly like that one. If you have a story you want to get across. Hey, you saw something weird in the sky. Yeah. Or, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be the most incredible thing we've ever heard, which, honestly, that is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. You're dating a blue woman with antennae. I don't know. Listen, you never know what you're going to find on, exactly. you know, Tinder. But, um... <laughs> Not that I have any experience on there. I'm a happily married man. But if you want to get your story across, feel free. Uh, You can message us on Twitter. Direct message. The lines are open there. At UA Podcast 850 on Twitter. You can send us a a message and uh, we'll be happy to, uh, to relate it. So, incredible. Now. To the meat of the show here. You've been wanting to do this for a long, long time. A long time. Um, It's something, like you said, Karen, I've been utterly fascinated by this for about 20 years. Wow. And I guess you could say it's one of the first things I ever wrote down on my so-called uh, mythical notepad that we've talked about before. That's right. Thank God you've been keeping track of all this stuff. And now it's, like, safe to talk about. Yeah. You know, I've accumulated so much of these stories that we've covered for 60 episodes now. And, you know, like you said, I always kept it to myself. But now since the subject has been more open the past couple of years, we felt more open to, to talk about all these things. So I will preface this by saying... It may not have a lot to do with the aliens this time around. Not like the story Mike just gave us. But it is a story that I personally have been waiting for the right time to bring up and make it into an entire episode like you're going to hear today. So I figured why not use the milestone number of episode 60 to finally talk in detail about the mysteries and conspiracies surrounding the famous Philadelphia Experiment. October 28, 1943, the day the U.S. Navy mastered time travel, teleportation, and visibility. Okay, so that's obviously uh, just a little teaser there. Wait a minute. (laughs) Mind blown. (laughs) So that's a five-second encapsulation of some of the subjects you're about to listen to um, and these fantastic tales we're about to cover. Let me hear that again. Sure. 
October 28, 1943, the day the U.S. Navy mastered time travel, teleportation, and visibility. So if this is during World War II, why didn't they use it to help beat the Germans? Well, we go into a lot of that, actually, so you're going to... You will find out. Oh, my God. <laughs> there's good reason. Uh, but there's actually two dates, so October 28th and July 22nd. So okay. we're going to talk about both. But before we get there, you have to understand the setting and the timeline of this event, which is why I said I, wanted to, I was going to try to keep this under an hour today, but there's so much detail, so I didn't want to shortchange you. As you heard the man say, it was October of 1943. So for those of you keeping score at home, that does put us about two years deep into World War II, like you just mentioned, Karen. And any and all government or military efforts were being put toward finding a way to stop the Nazis and win the war, right? And the Nazis were doing the same thing. They had the Nazi bell. Yeah. They, did, they were always looking for That's right. weird stuff. Hitler was trying to you know, uncover alien technology and all those things. So, it says, I, I, I go on here. According to some reports, according to, I should say, some of these reports say, one of those ways that uh, we were trying to win the war may have included an experiment that took place at a Philadelphia naval shipyard. Ooh. Hence the name, the, yes. the story was given of the Philadelphia Experiment. So here's a little introduction in, into that. As the story goes, at that American shipyard in Philadelphia, a new destroyer was being built and it went by the name of the USS Eldridge. But this was no ordinary destroyer, far from it. It was being equipped with technology no country had or even had heard about. This technology was related to something called electrical field manipulation. And what this did was make the ship invisible to everyone else. Okay, so let's just unpack that real quick, okay? There's a lot of info in there because... Well, I know James Bond does that with his car. He's able to make it invisible. James James Bond is amazing. Aston Martin. So we, we heard the terms invisibility... Yep. ...and electrical field manipulation. Now... According to the reports, this is where Einstein comes into play. Oh, wow. It's always interesting when Einstein gets involved. Because he actually may have been working with the U.S. military on more than one, you know, just more than one project. He's had a lot of work with them, as we know. He was also working on something called the Unified Field Theory. In fact, he was working on this theory for nearly 30 years. I don't think he ever got there with it. He's trying to unify quantum physics with, uh, I don't know. The theory of rel- relativity, I don't know. So, well, it's pretty close, actually, Karen, because without getting into the weeds here, because honestly, this is some unified field, the- field theory is something you could take a course on in college that would have to last the entire year for you to learn in detail about. But, but he couldn't reconcile them. Well, anyway. th- and that's the thing. Because one thing happens with one and another thing happens yes. with another, and he's like, wait a minute. What now? Yeah. So this theory centered on the idea of trying to describe creation and all the forces of nature all in one package, okay, just to kind of put it in a nutshell. But the military's goal was to take one of those forces, in this case electrical fields, and use Einstein's theories on the subject to then utilize an electrical field to actually bend the rays of light around an object and literally make it invisible to the naked eye. Well, you know that light does bend because he proved that with the eclipse, so... Exactly. Yeah, so... So as long as we've got all that, Right? I think we're good. So now yeah. we, we can continue here to, uh, well, the next part of the story. We're told on this day in front of government and military officials, the scientists disappeared the ship with crew intact Whoa. right in front of their eyes. A witness said he heard the generators buzz and then a strange blue light seemed to encapsulate the destroyer. And then, poof, it was gone. Okay. <laughs> Pretty wild. So just to expand on that a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, the USS Eldridge was said to have these big generators. You heard him talk about the generators there. And they had those on board that were supposed to create this 
electrical field that they needed to complete the invisibility experiment. To everyone's amazement, it actually worked. Whoa, whoa. Right? Or so it seemed anyway at first glance. Okay. Let me first say, for context, okay, that there were actually two of these experiments. Now, we mentioned a little while ago, the one was on July 22nd, the other was October 28th, both in the year of 1943, two years into, or I should say two years in after Pearl Harbor, the year, I mean, the war started before Pearl Harbor in 1941. It was during that July experiment, so we're going to go back a little bit, when according to the reports, the ship actually disappeared into what was described as the, the odd green mist oh. before then reappearing 10 minutes later, okay? Huh. This is all going to come together, I promise. Okay. The scientists and military bigwigs who were there and saw this thought they had just made an incredible discovery. They had successfully achieved invisibility on a U.S. destroyer. Man. This technology was going to turn the tide of the war. They yeah. would finally be able to get past those the, the, the German U-boats. They were destroying the U.S. fleet. They were a huge problem. Too bad they didn't have it before Pearl Harbor. Well, that they would could have disappeared all those ships. That's you're right. Now that celebration quickly died down, though, mm. and it wouldn't have worked on Pearl Harbor anyway. Because as they came to find out, oh no! As they boarded the ship, they found a grisly and gruesome, absolutely gruesome discovery. The sailors who were on board died a horrifying death that you're about to hear Oh right now. my God. Some accounts even say that when the ship came back, there were sailors on board, but some of them had been fused to various parts of the steel. Some of these people were apparently mangled and broken. They were fused to the steel? Yeah. Oh my God. It reminds me of the movie The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Oh, sure. When he, tra- he teleports himself and a fly gets in there. Yes. And so then it like becomes part of him. Yeah, yeah it's true. Same you're- thing. Oh, my gosh. So you're going to hear more details on that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, But just to add to it here on my own, according to the reports, there were sailors who survived, but they were said to have suffered from severe radiation poisoning and others fell into a terrible psychotic state. Oh, my God. It's just awful. No fun at all. Whoa. Maybe they should have done this without people on board. Well, yeah, there's You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but they needed somebody to operate the generators. Oh. Now, this all, again, this all will come together. Don't worry. Okay. There was a survivor who went on to tell his story from the ship. Whoa. Keep that in mind for a little later, okay? So after all that, you would think that the military would be back off and just, you know, scrap the entire project, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. Wrong. They went ahead with that second experiment that took place on October 28th, 1943. This time, the crew on board experienced more than just invisibility. 
They supposedly traveled through time and space itself. Ah, space time. So on the 28th of October, in broad daylight, the Eldridge was used as a guinea pig once more. No changes, no recalibrations. They activated the field once more. Once more, the ship vanished. But not from sight at all. But from Philadelphia entirely. The ship seemed to almost phase out of reality. The ship immediately and astoundingly reappeared almost 300 miles away in Norfolk, Virginia. There at anchor was the merchant vessel SS Andrew Furuseth. The crew stared in astonished wonder as with a blue flash of light appeared an entire destroyer escort, fully loaded, ready for war, and glowing a dull green. <laughs> the ships bobbed inside of each other for a few minutes until the Eldridge, just as fast as she appeared, disappeared. She popped back into existence back in Philadelphia. So you're talking now about on the second experiment, the ship disappearing, teleporting south to Virginia and that it, it's fused into other ships. It's it, all this mist everywhere. Everybody sees it as they're standing there in, in Virginia and they're just losing their minds. And then it comes back, teleports back Whoa. to Philadelphia. I've never heard of this. This is crazy, isn't it? It's amazing, but you know what? It makes sense because how else are we going to get around the universe if we can't do something like that? Well, because we can't go faster than the speed of light, right? So we need to do something that would be something like that. It's always been the theory, right? As far as going back to Einstein, his right. theory on wormholes, wormhole travel through space. You know, if you imagine folding a piece of paper and putting a pencil through, mm -hmm. that's a wormhole rather than drawing a line off a piece of paper. It was space time. So space you bend time, it. It, everything, gravity isn't like a, a, a force. It's, it's the bending of space time. Yeah, exactly. So apparently, according to the stories, that's what happened here. And if that's how maybe, you know, aliens are traveling through space, if that's how they're getting from right. light years and light years Makes away, sense. maybe this is the type of technology. Not this. Obviously, they have perfected. Yeah, this perfected. is a little rudimentary. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think the aliens have the green. Maybe they do. I don't know. But, it's, you know, those are all those are theories, right? So did how did did people chronicle this? Did they write a diary? Did they have photos? What how did they how do we know this story? I'm glad you asked that. So we're actually going to get to that in just a minute. OK, but what about the crew? Oh, gosh. On the first time yeah. around, it didn't end up too well for them, right? <laughs> no, no. You so you would hope that things would be better for them the second time. Yes. Well, as the researchers rushed aboard the ship when it came back to Philadelphia, they found that. Oh, no. Unfortunately. Things were actually worse this time around. And honestly, just a, a friendly warning here. Oh, my God. This is this is hard to hear. Uh, the, the, the details are absolutely horrifying. Just letting you know, okay? But we never sugarcoat the details. So here's, according to the reports, what they found. Men screamed in agony. Their bodies mangled and burned all half insane and screaming bloody murder. More than a few had become fused with the metal of the ship, entire limbs now forever part of the Eldridge. Some had half their bodies engulfed in steel and were breathing their last breath. In one spot was simply a pile of bone and organs. What? What had once been a man was now turned inside out, left to die in a horrific fashion. Some were never seen again, Oh, vanished, trapped somewhere between the folds of our reality and the next. Good gosh. So, 
Did the crew know that they were being teleported or were they just guinea pigs? Did they sign some sort of disclaimer agreement? Total, total guinea pigs. And and according to those who know the story, who related the story, basically it's just, you know, guinea pigs from the military. Twice. Twice. And then they're, you know, you tell the family, oh, they died in a training exercise. And that's the end of that. I see. Oh, my gosh. So all in all, after those very graphic details, what are we to make of all of this so far? I think you've had some pretty good questions about it, Karen. I'm sure you do, too, listening. It's obviously intriguing for sure. Definitely a little creepy. But is it true? Or is it a Stephen King novel? Really, right. There are some holes in this story that doubters highlight. Okay. That we're going to point out right now so you have all the details, right? Because we always give you the story and you make up your own mind. That's that's what we do. Is the USS Eldridge still a ship that exists? That's a great question. I mean, does it is it somewhere? It might be decommissioned somewhere. It's a real ship. We know that it for sure. It was a real ship. Yes. Okay. But that's a great question about it. Now, for one, it is said that according to the ledger from the USS Eldridge, it was never docked in Philadelphia during those time frames of July and October of 1943. Whoa. In fact, according to its ledger, it was docked in Brooklyn at that point. Yeah, but maybe they wanted it to not show up on records being there. They might have manipulated the ledger, right? that doesn't bother me. So another detail that detractors point to is the explanation that one veteran gave to uh, the, the talk of the secret experiments being done involving the use of the you know electric field technology to achieve invisibility. So a man named Edward Dudgeon, not Dungeon, but Dudgeon. Looks like Dungeon. Yes. He was a Navy veteran from World War II. He explained that the talk of invisibility was just a misunderstanding and that the Navy was, in fact, working on a stealth technique called degaussing. So what the heck is that? What? <laughs> what is the gousing? Well, it is defined as a process in which, okay, it's a little wordy, so bear with me. Degaussing is defined as a process in which systems of electrical cables are installed around the circumference of a ship's hull, running from bow to stern on both sides. At that point, a measured electrical current is then passed through those cables to cancel out the ship's magnetic field. This technique was vital in order to repel German mines. Okay. 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 So and that way they're not these mines aren't coming up to the ship and blowing up the ships. It would repel them down into the water. Kind of like think about if you put two magnets together, they repel each Got other. Got it. That's what they were trying to do with the galaxy. This was a real technique that the US used during the war. So was this a so called invisibility that people were talking about? Was this misunderstood, the gousing, being able to repel the mines? No, it's completely different. Was it misunderstanding? No. No. We say no. No. And then finally, the biggest thing that detractors point out is to say that this story is fake, is that it was supposedly first made public by a name named Carl Allen, who also went by the name Carlos Miguel Elande. Now, Elande was also kind of thought of as as a scam artist during his time. Well, see, back then, anything like this, you're a crackpot, yes. scam artist, you know. True. That's true. But you were looked at differently. Ne'er-do-well, not to be trusted. Correct. Ne'er-do-well, I like that. Is hey. that that's a milestone. Can I just point this we out? We haven't had that. It's the first time in 60 episodes we have said the word ne'er-do-well. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Karen. <laughs> but that's why people didn't believe him. Someone, he was, they looked at him as someone who was trying to gain notoriety at the, at the expense of others. And so they thought, you know what, this guy is, he's a ne'er-do-well. He's well, a crackpot. They're, they're trying to cancel him. Yeah. You know, they're trying to, yeah, don't don't listen to him. They thought he was scamming them. 
So it, it said that he was a witness to all of this. He was there. And they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. But he said he was the only one willing to talk about it. Now, to muddy the waters even more, to be fair, again, we're going to give you all the details, Carlos, or Carl, his real name, whatever you want to call him, later said that during the 80s, okay, he made up the whole story. But then he later recanted yeah, that's, that claim. And you know what? That's That's what happens when you are telling the truth and then people react to it mm-hmm. and so you're like okay forget it it's not real and then you come back and say you do he before he died in 1994 he later came back and said no it is true what i said in the 80s isn't true i recant my recant okay <laughs> so he i don't have a problem with that either he died saying that this was a true story okay so what are we to believe here <laughs> now do you remember okay a little while ago when i said to keep in mind a supposed survivor yes. of these experiments yes, yes. well and it's his time to shine. Oh, goody. Okay. You can make up your own mind on this whole thing without, or I should say you can't make up your whole mind on this whole thing without first hearing this final piece of the puzzle. We're going to hear from a guy named Al Bielik. Now, before we do that, what do you make of this so far? Just, I ask you, Karen, what do you make of this so far, given all the details? Well, I find it shocking that the, if true, the military would use service members as guinea pigs. True. You know, I mean, just horrific deaths. Um, I think it definitely is possible because it explains a lot of things, how whatever um, beings get around the universe, this has to be sort of the way it it, it occurs. Mm-hmm. And this technology probably is available. And I don't have a problem with someone who was a witness recanting and then coming back because, you know, of the shame. True. Okay. So, I mean, I, I definitely think it's possible. Okay. No, those are all good points to, to go against all that. Very good. I mean, that's something that definitely an argument you can make in that, in that but case. But there should be evidence. If a body is fused to the steel of the ship, they would have that evidence. Some what type of physical evidence. Yeah. Or maybe it was fixed before anybody looked at like it. Like a molecular, molecular, <laughs> molecular thing. Well, all that said. Quantum mechanics. Yeah. This is the accounts we're going to play for you. Now, the, the, the clips, there's a few clips we're going to play from Al uh, Bielik, and they're kind of long, so we're going to split it up a little bit. But so here's the first thing that Al Bielik had to say, or we're going to learn, actually, we're going to learn a little bit about him. So this is about Al Bielik, who says that he was there and part of the Philadelphia experiment. One as a loving family man and the other as a shadowy military scientist working on black ops projects like Montauk Project, a secret government operation which dealt with experimentation in time travel and psychic warfare. And, of course, the now infamous Philadelphia Experiment, among other operations. Now, I'll explain that a little bit more. Um, He says that he led a double life. One was well, who doesn't? You know, the secret agent and another of a family man. So that's that's what that is all about. And Montauk Project, actually, by the way, is something that's I mean, that's a whole different subject. We can okay. do a series of episodes on the Montauk Project. There is so many theories about that, so many um accounts about experiments being done in Montauk, New York, of you know, military technology, reverse engineering of alien technology teleportation, mind control, remote viewing. Actually, that's it said that the Duffer brothers who created Stranger Things. Oh, that's where they got it. The the idea for Stranger Things came from the Montauk Project. Okay, so that'll be a future Serious episode. Serious stuff. Yeah. 
serious stuff going on there. And so Man. Al Bielik says that he was part of all of that. Okay, well, that makes sense then. So now that we have this shady character who is said to have been a secret agent of sorts, but here's another question, right? Why didn't he come forward about his story until 1988? Because, again, this is happening in 1943, right, and then Al Bielik comes out. In 1988, what is it, 45, right? 45 mm-hmm. years after the Philadelphia Experiment. Well, according to Bielik, it's because his memory was completely wiped clean. He was assigned a new name, a new life, new family, no recollection of his old ways or knowledge of any secret government experimentation whatsoever. Now, I thought, too, this sounds like stuff straight out of like the Men in Black movies. No, Jason Bourne. The Jason Bourne, that too. You know, you flash the little red flashy thing like in Men in Black where they wipe wipe your mind and Jason Bourne. I mean, this is stuff you see in movies, but Al Bielik said this is what happened to him. But you also must be wondering how he got his memories back. That's right, because are they ever really gone? Right, exactly. So, in a scene seemingly straight out of Hollywood, maybe out of, you know, the Bourne movies or Men in Black, Bielik was actually watching a movie at home one day about the Philadelphia Experiment. And it triggered it. Exactly. The Philadelphia Experiment actually was made into a movie back in 1984, went by the same name. He came across it in 1988. Wow. So according to his story, he became intrigued by the movie and began to watch it. As he watched, he says that a flood of memories began to come back to him about his former life and his involvement in the experiment itself. And he went to bed that night and began to kind of piece together the puzzle of his former life. So incredible stuff when you really start to think about it. It makes sense, right? Yes. And in that fashion, I mean, I think it's a decent explanation. I don't know. Well, it makes sense because when you, the best ideas come to you right as you enter sleep. Yes. That's what Thomas Edison used to sit in a rocking chair and hold BBs in his hand. Nice. And then when he would fall asleep, the BBs would fall and he'd wake up and he'd write down whatever he was thinking about. Actually, James Cameron, director, you know, Terminator, Avatar, he says all, almost all the ideas he's had for movies come to him in dreams and yes, sleep. Yes, that's how it works. So it, it makes sense. Here's a little bit more about uh, detail about Al, Al Bielik here. When Al Bielik woke up, he remembered a few things. Among them, he wasn't actually named Al Bielik. Oh. He was, in fact, another man altogether oh. by the name of Edward Cameron, born in 1916, a full decade before he was quote-unquote officially born. And he had different parents, a different life, and a brother, Duncan Cameron, who he had by now been long estranged from. Both had enlisted in the military for service during the Second World War and quickly rose in rank and stature, eventually working under figures like Nikola Tesla, Albert Einstein, and Dr. John von Neumann, specifically on a secret project to cloak warships and essentially render them invisible. There you go. Wow. <laughs> so cool. That's quite the double life, huh? But it makes sense. But And that all comes back yes. to him in his sleep after watching the movie is what he claims. Now, you're actually going to hear from Al uh, Bielik coming up here in just a second. Now, I know people will say, oh, he's so suggestible. He saw a movie and he just extrapolated it in his mind. No. And that's fine if you want to think that. It works both ways. Yeah, true. It could have been, you know, it, it could have triggered him. Could have triggered the memories. Who knows? Now, we all know the grisly details of how the experiments went. We went through that in, in plenty detail. But according to Bielik, here's, okay, here's where things start to take a turn with his account, all right, as we piece all this together, all, all angles, if you will. He and his brother were actually on the ship in the master control room during the experiments. And this is an inside look from Bielik 
as things began to go wrong. Now, just for, uh, I guess, context, because of the sound, it doesn't sound very crisp and clear. This interview you're going to hear from Bielik was uh, recorded in 1989. Do you think his testimony here makes it more believable? You decide. Let's listen. Everything appeared normal to the ship, up to the railing and slightly beyond. But a short distance beyond the railing, there was nothing but a solid gray fog. We didn't think anything about that. We said, let's jump overboard, and we did. I mean, we didn't say this verbally. This was, shall we say, simultaneous mental thinking. We jumped overboard, and we never hit the water. We were good swimmers. We weren't about, worried about the height. Never hit the water. We started to fall. The sensation was like falling down an elevator shaft with no bottom. And down we went, and down we went. And suddenly, we were panic-stricken. We didn't have enough time to worry about being panic-stricken, but we were totally dismayed. We had not the faintest idea what was going on. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so he jumped off the ship, which would explain why he survived. Yes, he and his brother. I, the whole thing is totally believable to me. But, really? Okay. You know, that's good. You know, I took, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, this is his testimony. He says he was there. He was, you know, in the military, in the Navy, on the ship, him and his brother, they jump off. And his, his test, it's a bit lengthy. So we we're kind of like piecing this together because I also wanted to clear up any confusion from when uh, Bielik is referring to the person he was with. It, it was his brother. Okay. So I just wanted to, to point that out there. Um, when he says, you know, we jumped off the ship together. That was, he's talking about his brother there. That we heard that he forgot that he had until I guess the movie triggered his memories. Now, did well, he go b- find his brother, or did his brother not make it through the whole thing? It's interesting you ask that because we're going to continue here with Bielik, and we're going to I'm going to answer that for you after he's done because some of the stuff that he gets into, um, let's just say we save the best for last, and oh, I'll gosh. also say it's long. It's about a minute and a half. Okay. So just, you know, fair warning, try to keep up with it. It's the stuff he says here is, I mean, well, I'll just play it. Go ahead. You can listen. And this went on until what we estimate was about two minutes later. We arrived at a very strange location. At night, standing upright next to a chain link fence. And... It was dark, and we didn't know where we were. But we knew it was a military base in all likelihood because the chain-link fence was of a military design. At that point, very suddenly, a very bright spotlight came down on us, illuminated us very brightly. We wondered what that was. Well, we know where searchlights were, but it was on a helicopter, and helicopters were unknown to us because in 1943 there were very few. They were experimental. But as it turned out, this was a production-type helicopter, as we learned later. But MPs came out of some place and grabbed us and took us to a building. In the building, on an elevator. Down the elevator shaft, the door opens. We see a lot of military personnel and a very elderly civilian in a gray business suit. White hair, what was left of it on the side of his head, walking towards us. He looks at us and says, gentlemen, I've been expecting you. And Dr. John Van Neumann. <gasps> so we look at him. He says, you're who? And I said, I'm Dr. John Van Neumann. Couldn't be. We left him approximately an hour or so ago. Hmm. And uh, he's a much younger man. Couldn't be you. Moved with us rather sternly. He says, gentlemen, this is not 1943. This is 1983. I am the same Dr. Van Neumann you knew in 1943, except I'm 40 years older. Wow. 
Welcome to the Montauk Air Force Station. Uh, then there's Montauk. So it's 1983 that they time travel to. Yes. So, and it, when is it in the 80s that he learns of the... He says that he learned in, in, in 1988. Oh, okay. So, so but, so, yeah, I yeah. thought maybe the, it triggered him when he traveled to that time. Oh, no. That, okay. So here's here's the thing, because there's the time travel portion, yeah. right? We teased about time travel. Wow. There you go. So Al's story continues, and I'll, I'll summarize it for you, because he said that their old boss told them that the Eldridge was stuck in a hyperspace loop. Oh, okay. And that it had it, it had torn a hole within the space-time continuum. Oh. That's never good. No. And that they had to go back and destroy the machines on the ship that were making this all possible. Now, again... I will say myself, I know this all sounds like something out of Back to the Future, okay? But this is the account that Bielik gave in 1989. And according to his story, they were sent back to that precise moment in 1943 using time travel tech. A that thrust was, capacitor. Yeah, the flex capacitor. Flex. That was at the Montauk base. This, this, whatever they were using, whether it was the flux capacitor, I don't know, at the Montauk and base. And DeLorean. That's right. They sent them back. Once back on the ship... They came across that familiar, gruesome scene gotcha. that we've been detailing here from, you know, the, the, the destroyed electrical field. They, they went back and they destroyed that field, rendering them back at the Philadelphia dock in 1943. So here's the thing. The time frame and all, right? What happened? 1983, he found out 1988. Where is he? What time is it? So now they're back in 1943. They've been sent back. From 83 to 43, they destroyed the machine, and now they're there in their own current time. They were also given, according to Bielik, uh, radiation suits before they left to do this time travel expedition to go back to 1943. So wearing the radiation suits explains how they avoided all these worst effects that we kept hearing about. So I guess if you think about it like... It's, it's all these different vantage points, right? We started with the vantage point of the researchers, the scientists, the military men who were there on the dock going onto the ship and finding these gruesome discoveries of the sailors fused into the steel and mangled and burned and all these, you know, and going to these psychotic states. That was the vantage point from there. But from the Bielix, their vantage point was they came back, they avoided the worst because they time-traveled by jumping through this time-space loop and they come back in radiation suits, so they avoid being fused into the steel. They avoid being having radiation poisoning, going to the psychotic state. And they come back to find basically what the researchers found after they, you know, destroyed the machine. So once that happens... Well, that adds another level of verifiability, if that's a word. It's interesting, right? Because yeah. that would explain kind of the ending to all of that, that's I guess right. you could say. You know, to kind of tie all this up. But what happened to his brother? Yes. Well, he says, Al Bielik says, that after destroying the machines, this gray cloud was still there for a little bit. And his brother looked at him and said, you coming? <gasps> no, that makes sense. He go- he wanted to go back. He went back. His brother jumped. Al Bielik stayed behind. And as his brother jumped back into the cloud, never to be seen again. Sure. All the researchers and you're his brother. The generals, maybe I don't know. You're what a his twist. brother. What a twist! <laughs> well, I, I didn't knew see it. that coming. That's why it's so interesting to me. Everybody comes running onto the ship to find all the sailors and Bielik standing there, mm. 
And Bila goes on to live his life, gets involved in many other projects. He says that after the Philadelphia experiment, he took part in a bunch of projects and experiments at Montauk on the New York base, which, by the way, if you thought all the crazy stuff was over, he says his projects that he worked on included time traveling to the year 2137. Not too far in the future. The, uh, the 28th century. And then even to Mars in the year 6037. Oh, my goodness. So he had a lot of memories come back to him after watching that movie. That is for sure. Well, and I also suppose everyone else around him were like, uh, nice suit. You know, what yeah. happened to the radiation suit that didn't exist at the time? I guess he just ditched it. I, I mean, oh. it's hard to say, but that that is his account. That is so good. The entire story of the Philadelphia Experiment. How do you like that? You're him. <laughs> I'm Al Bielik's brother. Yep. But his brother traveled back. I don't know what happened to his brother. There's no account of his brother. Who did he talk to? What kind of life did he live? Al Bielik went on to live a life, you know, after he was done with his experiments. They wipe his memory. He goes to have on, on to have this family and doesn't remember until 1988 when he's watching the Philadelphia Experiment movie. Or so the story goes. So interesting. I mean, just to even make that up is... Uh, Takes an incredible mind. Well, the th- see, the thing I find interesting here is, and I, I told you this was going to be a long one today, so sorry, <laughs> but there was so much detail. And plus with Mike's story from Canada. But what I find intriguing is you have the the huckster, if you will, that people painted him as this huckster in, uh, what gosh, was it, um, Allende. This guy who they say came up with the story, said that he was there, and he's the one who made the Philadelphia story or experiment story public to begin with. Carl or Carlos. Carlos Allende. They say that, you know, he's the one. He's the one who spread it to begin with. But if he was making it up, and then he dies in the early 90s, why is Al Bielik coming out in 1988 and 1989 giving an account of the Philadelphia Experiment, giving details that Carlos Allende never gave? And back then you didn't have the internet, so these people can be looking at each other's sure. experiences. Right? I mean, maybe he heard about Carlos Allende in a book somewhere. I don't know. But he didn't even know about the Philadelphia Experiment or forgot about it, I guess, until he saw the movie in 1988 that came out four years previous. Who was in the movie? I don't know, actually. It was kind of like a B movie, oh, so okay. I'm not sure there's anybody famous. All right. Um, but it's so it, that's my biggest question with this. If you want to believe that Carlos Allende made up the story... Okay, when he related it back in the in the fifties, I believe, and that whole thing was just completely made up. None of it happened. Then why is Al Bielik attaching himself to this and later in his life and giving completely different details that Allende never gave? I mean, were they both making up fantastical stories to try to get attention, well, he, or two yeah. different vantage points? He gave different details because he was part of it and he survived it. That's the thing. Are we seeing two different vantage points yeah. from people who were involved in this experiment that may have actually happened? This is wild. It's awesome. Now, to be fair, a lot of people call this a conspiracy theory. A lot of people say you're insane for believing this story, that it's been proven to be a hoax. But I'm just asking questions. I'm just giving you the details, the stories, the accounts, and just asking questions. That's all. If you want to believe that it's completely insane and that it's been a proven hoax for years, then fine. By all means. But I think it's worth at least looking into, right? Yes. They made a movie about it in Hollywood. It must be true. It's fascinating, isn't it? That's the clincher. Now, all that said, Karen, Yes. as we gave our final wrap-up there, Obviously, this is the point of the episode where we would come on 
and tease the next one. That's right. On Twitter this week, I went on and I gave a little teaser saying episode 60 is finally going to be coming. You know, stay tuned. It's uh, We can't wait to do it and tell you all about it. But we had some major news that might change the course of the show. Not really, though. Maybe not so much. But it is something that we've been thinking about a lot. It all goes to your response. The listener, you, the listener. The response to this show since we started it back in July of 2021, right? So it's been almost a year and a half since we started this show. Since you inspired me to do it, Karen. Yes. That's, and everyone thought we were nuts. That's right. And well, they still kind of do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but your incredible response to the show, the overwhelming um, positive response that we get, whether it's an Apple review, a Spotify review, a you know five star review, a message on Twitter, someone who just you, you when you take your time to message us and tell us how much you love the show, that you listen to every episode, that you take the time like Mike did in Canada to send us your own personal message that you may not even told your family, but you're telling us so well written. It was. It's things like that that have led us to feel the need to explore different avenues with the show, to try to grow it, to try to make it bigger and sent out to a bigger audience and and grow ourselves from the show. And so because of all that, we're going to we're going to try to do that. We are this is the last episode for um the year. Not the last episode ever. <laughs> we're going to hopefully this is just the beginning actually, quite the contrary. We're hoping this is just the beginning it's of It's a jumping off point. Yes, exactly. Of, of something incredible that we've been it's experiencing an together. point. Yes. A stepping stone point for Steven the show. Steven and I will continue to do this. Yes. We will be together. We may even show up in your hometown and talk to you personally. That would be Eventually nice. in the future. But, um, yeah. It's, it's, we don't want to talk about platforms and all that crap. Right. That's what know, I'm trying to avoid. Yeah, <laughs> just, just know that we're going to still be putting out a podcast about all this stuff. UAP isn't going to change. It's just some things for us personally. It, it makes it difficult to do some things that we want to do or receive things that we're looking, hoping to receive one day in the future from this show that we can't do now. We're getting a new mothership. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll say that. So we're exploring other opportunities and the show will be back. It's going to be in 2023, which isn't too far away. I mean, no. there's a few weeks left to the year really so don't worry about that but we'll keep you updated as we continue to explore how we're going to do this and you know our, our goal is to keep it on the the platforms that you find us on apple oh, yeah. and spotify and you know i, I think uh, amazon and all these different we're everywhere. things yeah so we're, we're the goal is to stay there and for you to continue to make it easy to find us, for you to continue to be able to go back and listen to previous episodes that you haven't heard before, if you're just now discovering well, actually, the show. Actually, Stephen, nothing's really going to change. Maybe just more of a change for us. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to try and make it as seamless as possible. Our goal is to make it seem like nothing has changed That's for right. you. There you go. Even though it might be big changes Don't for us. Don't worry about it. You've inspired us. I guess in short, I know it sounds so dramatic, but in, in, in short... <laughs> You've inspired us to try to change things for ourselves. Yes. In, you know, I, I guess just personal rewards of the show. 
that we're, we're trying to achieve and, you know, maybe open up a YouTube channel. These are things that we've never been able to do before that we're trying to, to do now. So that's the plan. Yay. <laughs> Sorry to sound so dramatic about it. No, it's fabulous. But we will be back again. Apologies. It's not going to be this year. So enjoy the holidays. Yeah. Enjoy Christmas, families. Hanukkah, all the holidays that December has to offer. And yeah, like I said, enjoy the, your family, enjoy your family time. If you've missed any of the episodes, if you're just discovering us now, then feel free to go back and find the other previous 59 episodes. That'll keep you busy those. until we get back to you in 2023. Yes, because we actually had somebody write to us on Twitter, at UA Podcast 850, by the way, if you want to follow along because I will be updating of what's going on uh, throughout the rest of this year and early into next year as the new episodes come out. And so if you want to follow there and get the updates at UA podcast 850 on Twitter. Um, but it's, you know, we have people reach out to us and say that they just discovered the show and now they're starting to binge it. So if that's you, yeah. feel free. You're have still going to be able to do that. You can uh, do that until the new episode comes out in uh, 2023, early, early 2023. It's going to happen in January. And it's going to be about? Well, actually, I want to play off of what we just did. So uh, this is going to be a long teaser. You might hear it's going to be a month-long payoff for you. But actually, I want to do part, kind of like a part two of like mysterious disappearances like the Philadelphia Experiment. I've been fascinated by the Malaysian aircraft. Yes. Malaysian Air Flight 370. What happened to that aircraft? So you have a ship in the Philadelphia Experiment with the USS Eldridge and something more recent in USA, or no, I mean, um, Malaysian Air Flight 370, that aircraft that disappeared, what is that, maybe six, eight years ago, I somewhere in there? I think one piece of it was found on some island. They, just almost no trace of it. So yeah. I want to... And the Bermuda Triangle, right? Yes. Okay. So I want to tie those together. Because that's right here. Yeah, it's true. I mean, if you don't know... Of our coast. We do the show here in South Florida is where Karen and I are located, so... I want to tie those two together and tie it all together with what you just heard here on the Philadelphia Experiment portion as far as these disappearances, mysterious disappearances that just cannot be explained. I know Bermuda Triangle is kind of cliche, but it's interesting. I want to, we'll give it a twist as we come back in 2023 with the new episode. And what about the Montauk thing? Oh, I will have to okay. dig into that all later right. on. All right. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like we said, much more to come. Exciting things to come for UAP. No changes for you. You're still going to be able to find us. So we'll talk to you again in the new year in 2023. So, again, follow we, us. We've got them bending spoons with their minds Oh, now. I know. We have no this idea what we're doing. been quite an episode, quite a journey, and we'll be back with you again. So, again, if you want to follow the show, follow all the updates at on Twitter, at UA Podcast 850 there. And continue downloading, subscribing to the show on Apple, UAP. You'll find us there. So we'll talk to you again soon. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Holidays. It's Karen Curtis there. It's Stephen Diener here. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.